At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our hearts are heavy. It is so good for us to be able to, to sing those songs, to affirm those words when this world has so much chaos. Father, we can feel powerless. We can feel hopeless. I know that I have in the last few days. But Lord, we know that we can pray as your people. We know that we can give. We can lift high the name of Jesus. So Father, we affirm that you are good. We affirm that you are present, Father, that you are working to bring your kingdom to earth. And you will stamp out evil, God. Hasten the day. Pray, Father, that we would not be moved in our belief and conviction of who you are and your love for this world. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord. We ask you to shield them in these places of danger, of suffering, of lack. Comfort them, Lord, with the comfort that Christ alone can provide. I pray you provide for their needs, that you make a way of escape, Father. I pray for doors for witness. Father, I pray that Taliban members would come to Christ through the courage and compassion and faith of your people. Save, Lord. Deliver. Deliver oppressor and oppressed. We pray, Father. Lord, we know that there will be Christians in all of this who will come home to you. And so, Father, we pray that their faith would not fail in the hour of trial, the hour of death. And we pray that your presence would be strong. And that their deliverance would be swift. For us, Lord, we pray that our citizenship in heaven would be so real that with our short lives under the sun, we push mightily against the darkness. So use this word today to that end. Oh, Lord, we need you to move in us through this word. Remove all distraction, all internal noise that would keep us from communing with you by means of your word that your spirit may transform us. Come to our aid. We pray all this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18. The teacher says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. 
So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment... For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The word of the Lord. My family spent a good part of last week dealing with that hidden gem of Michigan living getting water out of our basement, you know. And it wasn't just any kind of water. It was the kind that makes your whole house smell like the bathroom, you know. But this, this practice of getting water out of our basements has become so common in Michigan that people don't react to it anymore. They're like, how's your weekend? Well, we played cornhole and got poopy water out of the basement. And they're like, oh, how fun. Did you win at cornhole? There's like no reaction. You know, when I was interviewing for Woodside, you know, they didn't mention it. They should, have, they should have asked, do you like preaching? Do you like watery basements, you know? And so as the restoration company was out there, you know, ripping or down there, ripping the carpet up and putting it all in black garbage bags, you know, my wife said, you know what, from now on, I'm just keeping plastic bins down here. And the guy doing the work said, yes, and up high. And then he said, and not so much stuff. And not so much stuff. You know, we continue our series, Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth in a World of Truths, and we're clearing the mist, the illusions that pass for truth, so that we can build our lives on solid ground. We've looked at naturalism, intellectualism, hedonism, individualism, and today we're looking at materialism. Of all the isms we've been studying This one is perhaps the most widespread in our culture, the most corrosive to our spiritual life, but also the hardest one for us to see. If you were to ask the members of my family whether I am a big shopper, they would say no. Um, Other than my love for books, I'm not a gadget guy, I'm not a collector, I'm not into new things, not that much. In fact, my family gets upset with me, they get frustrated because I won't give them gift ideas for my birthday or Father's Day or Christmas. You know, my kids are like, Dad, make this fun for us. And I'm like, my birthday's not about you, you know? No, I don't say that. I don't say that, but they do get frustrated with me. So I'm not a big shopper by any means, but that doesn't exempt me from the cultural virus that is materialism. So I'm going to read to you the list of clothes in my closet as of last week. This is not a scientific study. I just went in there and counted. I'm sure I left some things out from the garage or whatever. But here's what I saw last week in my closet. Seven long sleeve Henleys. Seven t-shirts. Men's retreats don't help with this. Uh, Six white t-shirts. 
four black t-shirts, one gym shirt, six sweaters, four pairs of gym shorts, three pairs of summer shorts, two pairs of swimming trunks, two pairs of sweatpants, five pairs of jeans, three pairs of pants, not jeans, two pairs of pajama pants, two short sleeve button down shirts, 11 long sleeve shirts like the ones I preach in, four long sleeve shirts to wear with my suit, one suit. Now, if I've done your wedding or your loved one's funeral or if you've been here for Easter, you've seen the suit. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's an all-purpose, all-season suit, you know. <laughs> Two vests, one leather jacket, one sports jacket, one winter coat, seven ties, three belts, Two pairs of sneakers, two pairs of regular shoes, two pairs of summer shoes, one pair of house slippers for the summer, and one pair of house slippers for the winter. Now, I'll spare you the sock and underwear count, but trust me, I have plenty. So that's what's in my closet, and I'm not a shopper. What's in your closet? What's in your house? What's in your garage? What's in your basement? See, materialism can be defined at least in two ways. Philosophically, it's the belief that matter is the fundamental substance in nature. But at the more cultural level, the street level, materialism is the belief that material possessions and physical comforts are more important than spiritual life. And so at the very least, we live with this tension as humans because as humans, we are both material, right? There are, you know, we have a physical matter body, but we're also spiritual beings. And yet it's so easy for the material to dominate our identity, who we are. In fact, one writer argues that atheism has not replaced cultural Christianity in our country. Shopping has. And so the question that we're probing this morning is this, why don't I ever feel like I have enough? Why don't I ever feel like I have enough? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18, the teacher says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. In verse 17, last week, you remember, he told us, I hated life because the accomplishments led nowhere and death is the great equalizer and pleasure is fleeting and even wisdom, as much better as it is than folly, in the end makes little difference. And so he said, I hated life, but now in verse 18, he says, so I hated all my toil. The emphasis on toil in these verses is of the charts. You saw it. Now, toil doesn't just refer to your job, your nine to five. It includes it, but it's far more encompassing. Toil is the energy, the time that we expend in making meaning out of our lives, fashioning our lives into something we're proud of. So relationships are toil. The gym is toil. Your social media is toil. Your possessions are toil. Your, uh, your reputation is toil. And so... There's a very specific view of toil that the teacher has in mind. He sees toil as something that we must leave to the next person. Did you see that? Look at verse 18. 
He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Here it is. Seeing that, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And so his frustration is that who knows what this person is going to be. Like, is he going to be a fool? Is he, is he going to be a wise person? Is she going to be wise? Is she going to be a fool? And that fool could have your last name. Right? Did you know that in 60% of the cases, inherited wealth is gone by the end of the second generation? So all the money that you're working so hard to pile up so you can pass it on, some fool's going to get it, and it's going to be gone. Within one generation, 60% of the time. He says in verse 21, sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. So maybe they're going to be wise, maybe they're going to be fools, but in any case, it's going to be someone who didn't work for it. Let's think about this concept of toil as something that we leave. Maybe we call it a legacy, right? What is a legacy? A legacy is the work that we leave behind after we die. It's that for which we are remembered. Maybe it's millions of dollars for you, books you wrote, a company or an institution you built, a reputation you protected. But the teacher finds all of this to be vanity. It's fleeting, it's elusive, it's empty, it lacks substance. He says, I've worked so hard. I gave it all my skill, all my energy, all my wisdom. And what? At the end, a fool's going to end up with it? And his feelings associated with this are not good. Hate and despair. Did you see? In verse 18, he says he hates his work. In verse 20, his heart despairs. In verse 23, his days are full of sorrow, and at night, he has no rest. Look at verse 22. He, sa he says, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest this also is vanity. Do you see how he returns here to that theme of gain, which is his overarching question throughout the book? We saw the first week, chapter 1, verse 3. What does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he returns to it here again. Verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Same thing. What do we have from our work when we see our work as something other than the work itself? What do we have? He says we have a heart full of striving, days full of sorrow, and even at night we have no rest. I mean, this is bananas. How well do you sleep at night? Are you anxious? Are you restless, sleepless? Do you have unfinished business? Something might be amiss in your relationship with God. Maybe there's someone whose walk with God you really admire. Maybe it's your parent or your grandparent or a mature friend. But you're like, man, this person's not playing church. They're all in. Well, you know, someone doesn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I want God to be the biggest reality in my life. That's not what happens. Usually there are symptoms in our lives. And the teacher here is very helpful because he gives us some of them. Is your heart striving? Are your days full of sorrow? At night, are you having a hard time sleeping? You see, those are symptoms of a struggle between your material self and your spiritual self. 
That emptiness that's being revealed is because of your approach to life. And as long as that emptiness is there, you will always feel like you don't have enough. You see, when we define our lives by gain, we're so empty that we must gain. We must make our lives into something. To go back to the very first sermon in this series, the question of gain is the wrong question. And so what is solid reality? To appreciate that God shares his spoils with his people. God shares his spoils with his people. Listen to the wonderful change in tone in these next few verses. Verse 24. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I sow is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give it to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And so the teacher just talked of striving of heart, of days full of sorrow, work of, that's vexing, and nights without sleep. But now he starts talking about enjoyment and joy. Did you see the difference? Enjoyment and joy. And the difference is God. Did you notice over the last few weeks that in these first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, he barely mentions God? Because remember, the experiment that he's engaged in is considering life under the sun. With little or no awareness of the existence and presence of God in the affairs of the world. And his question is, does life make sense apart from God? And his answer throughout has been vanity, vanity, vanity. This is elusive. This lacks substance. But now he brings God into the reflection. And in verse 24, he says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Look at the next sentence. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can find enjoyment? You know, there's a difference between toil as something we must leave and toil as enjoyment. And the only way to be able to have toil as enjoyment is for God to give it to us as a gift. That's how we are able to have that. In fact, he makes a distinction here between the person that pleases God and the sinner. Now, the way that he's using the way sinner is not the way that Paul uses it or that we use it uh, in the New Testament, right? That every single person on earth is a sinner except Christ, of course. That's not how he's using it. He's using the word sinner simply to mean someone who doesn't know God, someone who doesn't please God. And so what he says is this. To the person who pleases God, he has given them wisdom and knowledge and, very importantly, joy. But to the person who does not please God, he has given them the business of gathering and collecting. Gathering and collecting, only to leave it to another person, the one who pleases God. And he says, this also is vanity. But do you see this? This is big. A lifestyle of gathering and collecting, which is what materialism is, is a form of experiencing the displeasure of God. Don't miss this. A lifestyle of gathering and collecting. Ecclesiastes 2, 26. 
which is what materialism is, is a form of experiencing the displeasure. Not the pleasure, the displeasure of God. And so how big is gathering and collecting in your life? How big is shopping in your life? I gave you that list of the items in my closet simply to make the point that I am a work in progress. That just like everyone else in our culture, I am a product of our culture. Where and how? How did, how did we become this massive consumer culture? How did that happen? Well, there's lots of reasons. But in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, you know, John Mark Comer talks about the onslaught of advertising since World War II. You know, one of the findings of Sigmund Freud was that humans are not as rational as we think we are. We think that we're so driven by reason, but Freud said, mm-mm, humans are so much more driven by what he called unconscious drives, unconscious drives, desires that we have. So we're not as rational as we think we are. We're more desire-driven, but it gets worse than that. It's desire that we don't understand. Have you ever done something compulsively? Maybe bite your nails or pick your skin or pull your hair, you know, but you don't really know why you do that? Like I've, as my kids, like, why do you keep doing that? They're like, I don't know, but I can't stop, you know? But it's not just nail, hair, skin. There are far more consequential behaviors we engage in because of all these desires, these drives we have that we don't understand. Well, advertisers know this about human nature, and they prey upon us. Listen to what Paul Mazur he was an influential investment banker with Lehman Brothers. Here's what he said in 1927. So we've had almost a century of this thing going full speed in our culture. Here's what he said. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want things, new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And so advertising began changing. Before, all the advertising did was just told you why product A, what it did, and why it was better than the competition, right? Hey, here's our shampoo. Here's what it does. Here's how it's better than the shampoo you've been using. That's how it used to be. But then it started changing. And now advertising came to be about the things, you know, that, that this product, how this product could make you happier, more refined more stylish, more significant, more valuable. And so things, you see the shift there? Things now became identity and status symbols. Things meant I can. I can afford it, which means I am successful, which means I am significant. Things became more important than humans. Americans were willing to spend less time with their spouse and their children so that they could uh, spend more time working, making more money, so they could buy more and nicer things. But you see what we did there? We started attaching these higher human values like happiness and success and significance to things, to a piece of metal or plastic, or gold. That's what happened. I mean, just think of how much stuff we have all around our houses that we don't need. Companies are masters at turning non-needs into highly prized must-haves. Right? I mean, they 
that's, I mean, there are people right now, maybe some of you are going to school for marketing so you can learn how to turn something that people don't need into something that they must have. You know, it's the Dream Cruise weekend. I know cars are big in uh, Michigan. But, you know, there's this whole feature in cars of how fast a car can go from zero to 60. And this is a big deal. You know, it's like this car can go to zero, from zero to 60 in eight seconds, in six seconds, in 3.5 seconds. Like, why? <laughs> like, like, what's the problem? What is the need here? Who's chasing you? <laughs> like, if you need the car to go that fast from zero to 60, you have bigger fish to fry. <laughs> like, there's clearly other issues going on. I've never been in a place where I've had to say, sorry, I'm late for the meeting, you guys. My old van took 20 seconds to go from zero to 60. <laughs> That's just never been a thing. It's like, who cares? <laughs> Lots of people do. Lots of very well-educated people do. You know, they sell doggy treats, okay, so that your dog doesn't get bad breath. And these things are expensive. They're expensive. Why? Why do we have this? Well, because there are millions of children starving around the world, but heaven forbid that Fluffy over here should have stinky breath. <laughs> like, but you see, companies are masterful at turning non-needs into highly prized must-haves. And so we gather and we collect. This is the true religion of America. It's not atheism. The percentage of people that are atheists in our country is like so small. It's not atheism. After all, atheism isn't anything. It's a vacuum. It doesn't give you any, anything positive. It just removes your need to believe in God. But shopping... That's a God unto itself. And Amazon has figured out how to bring it to your doorstep in just a few hours. Just do the magic click and voila. And so we, we consume, we store, we discard. Repeat. Consume, store, discard, repeat. Consume, store, discard, repeat. But gathering and collecting is the business that God has given to people who don't know him. Think about this. How much have you embraced this idolatry of gathering and collecting, this idolatry of shopping, this idolatry of finding, thinking that you can find meaning and purpose in life in things, dead things. This is the old definition of idolatry, right? The belief that something that can't see or speak or hear can give us meaning and life. The Messiah had lost lots to say about true life. Let me read you a few verses from him. In Luke 12, he says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, all greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know, the words from the basement cleaning guy are still ringing in my ears and no, not so much stuff. 30 black garbage bags on the curb. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, Jesus says. Luke 8, verse 12, 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Do you feel in your life that the spiritual life that Christ gives to you is being choked out by the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life? So you're not maturing? 
It's so difficult to escape this corrosive influence of materialism. It's all around us. I feel like I've been fighting against this thing my whole life. But it's like water in the basement in Michigan. It just keeps coming in. He says, we're being choked by these things. Luke 18, 25, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Praise him. He did not say how it's impossible, but he did say it's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So if you have wealth and you're like, no, you know, I'm actually making it pretty just fine into the kingdom. Uh Uh-uh. He said how difficult it is with wealth to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But then he did say something is impossible in Matthew 6, 24. No one can, there's the impossibility, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, there it is again, you cannot serve God and money. It is impossible. Matthew 6, 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, Jesus says. God is king. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He shares his spoils with his people. You will lack for nothing. Have you embraced a lifestyle of gathering and collecting? Remember that this is the business God has given to those who don't please him, to those who don't know him. But for those who do know him, those who please him, he has given them enjoyment in their toil. Enjoyment in their toil. The ability to do from joy to eat from joy to serve from joy to drink from joy to spend time with your children from joy this last week my wife went to costco to get a few things for us and she got this big watermelon and it was huge but you know how watermelons from the outside you can't tell how good they're gonna be they're like a fortune cookie right you have to like open it to know what's in there because some of them are grainy and not so sweet and, and, and they have seeds it's like oh not good but so we so you know they cut open this one and it was perfection it was so good. And so, and it was huge. So she took the one half and, you know, cut it into these nice triangles. And she brought it to the dinner table for dessert. And she told us each, you can each have four. And so everybody's looking for their four, <laughs> bringing them to that plate. And, man, we bit into this watermelon. And it was heaven. We said that. The kids are like, this is what watermelon's going to taste like in heaven. And so we just sat there leisurely. Like, I'm not kidding, just watching each other enjoy the watermelon. It was dripping on the sides of the mouth. So much fun. That's what the teacher is talking about. That gift from God to just be able to enjoy. $4.99. And the watermelon was so big, we used, we, we used the other half the next day. That's like six of us times, you know, like, I mean, that's like 40 cents per person just to have sublime joy that's what he's talking about 
Joy does not have to be expensive. Enjoyment does not have to be expensive. But you see, there's this difference between toil as gathering and collecting and to toil as enjoyment. And that, that can only come to you as a gift from God. Materialism. We have bought into materialism so fully that we believe that in a family, both the man and the woman must work for pay. How else are we going to keep up with the house or houses and the, the vacations and the cars and the latest devices and gadgets? How else? Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that the mom is the one who should always stay at home. Maybe in your family it makes more sense for the man to stay at home. And I am not saying that every time a man and a woman in a family work, that that makes them automatically materialistic. Uh-uh. You don't know that, okay? So don't meet people and be like, oh, you both work? That's the people the pastor is talking about, okay? <laughs> don't do that. All I'm saying is that in our materialistic culture, it comes to us without effort to trade our time for money so we can buy more things instead of trading our money for time so we can spend it with people, the most valuable treasures on earth. There's something beautiful and essential about pouring your time into your children. And I know that so many of you value your children. You're learning to enjoy the hours with them. Those difficult pull my hair out hours with your children. But you're there. You're present. You're there for those tender moments when your children are afraid, ashamed, confused, confronted with their own smallness, and you're there to be able to impart Christ to them in those soul-shaping moments. That is priceless. Listen, make no mistake, when our children grow up with a thoroughly secular worldview, we have to look no farther than the material goods we chose to pour our time into. But also there's something beautiful and essential about being available to serve families and people in need. Recently, the neighbor of a family from the church passed away. And he, he had two young children. And he had to be rushed to the hospital. But this family from the church was available to be able to scoop up the children and serve the family, care for the family in that time of need. Those moments, those events in life, money can't buy. And so when we define toil as gathering and collecting, our days are going to be full of sorrow, our hearts are going to be full of striving, and at night we're going to have no rest, and we're going to miss precious opportunities to offer Christ to people in need. Why? Because we don't have the time. We're out there chasing the materialistic American dream. But when we please God, then God gives us the gift of wisdom and knowledge and joy, joy in our toil. Materialism devalues humans and attempts to humanize things. And so how do we get off? How do we get, get off from this fast-moving train of materialism? I'm going to give you four quick things. First, listen to Jesus. If you follow him, listen to him. He doesn't want us worrying about food or what we're going to wear. And those are pretty essential things. Forget zero to 60. He does not want us worrying 
about the most basic things in life. He doesn't want us to define life by the abundance of possessions. Please listen to him because we can come for ourselves and say, you know what? I'm not an atheist. I love Jesus. But he look at us and say, no, shopping is your God. So don't define life by the abundance of possessions. He doesn't want us to do that. He promises that if we make a trade with him, we'll be covered. What's the trade? I read it to you from Matthew 6. For us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we do. What does he do? He adds to our life everything we need. That's the trade. Now, if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, please tell me you've seen him do this in your life again and again and again. And so listen to Jesus. Number two, learn to borrow. Learn to borrow. You know, we have a big faith family. You don't have to own something to enjoy it, right? We think we do. Number three, go on a fast from buying, from shopping. Just go on a fast. For, for six months last year, my wife went on this fast from buying clothes just to purge her desire to buy, to buy, right? And so do that. Go on a fast. It'll be good for you. So you know what? No, I don't need to buy all these things. Next time you're on Amazon or wherever, just like, mm, do I really need, you know, as the finger's like, what I do? Like, <laughs> resist. Pray. Think about it. And lastly, when you do buy, buy less for yourself and more for others. Buy less for yourself and more for others. You know, this past week, a family from our live group, they just brought us like these special cookies from Detroit Cookie Company. And they put them in this bag. And so it's like, yeah, those are really good. And, um, and on the bag, they just wrote, just because. Two exclamation marks. Just because. Let's become people who love to give, 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 just because. Just because. But it's not really just because, right? It's because the grace of God has come into our lives. And the things we used to worry about, he now adds to our lives because God is generous God is generous guys in the end materialism is a life of taking taking from the earth taking from others because we believe that things make us significant but when the gospel has truly penetrated our heart right so he's go it's gone from our heads to our hearts and we've truly tasted and seen that our God is generous we will stop taking and start needing less because our posture will no longer be what else can I get what else can I get what else can I get where else can I reach that that won't be how we live no our posture will be you know let me joyfully receive what my God has for me I don't need to strive because he will add to my life anything and everything that I could possibly need. How generous is the God you believe in? How generous is he? He gave you his son. He gave you his son who loves you, who holds you close, who bears you up, who bled for you, and who will never, ever push you away. He'll never do that to you. He will, the rest of your life, he will entreat you. He will pull you close. He will say, come to me, come to me, and I will give you fullness, fullness of joy in my presence, but not just joy, fullness of anything and everything you may need. 
Is that the God, the Christ that you follow? Because it's only when you feel full in Christ, contented in him, that you'll be able to say, you know what? I don't need things to prop me up and make me feel significant. I told you about the the trade that Jesus makes with us. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he adds to us everything in our lives that we need. Who gets the better end of the deal? But there's another trade, right, that he makes for, with us. On the cross, we give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. Who gets the better end of the deal? You see, we feel that we don't have enough only when Jesus isn't enough. God is generous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this one is tough. This one is really tough, Lord, because it is all around us. To one degree or another, we all do it. And it takes such discernment, such maturity to not get sucked into the vortex that is material possessions and physical comforts in our culture. So, Father, I pray. I pray for deliverance. I pray that we would be delivered from this view of life, of toil as gathering and collecting. Gathering and collecting. Father, I pray that we'd be able to view it as enjoyment, as a gift from you, so that we're able to eat and drink and serve and, and, and pour into our children, our spouse, our friends, all from joy, not complaining, not resenting, not hoping we had something else, not thinking that, no, there, in that place, that's where joy is. I need to go after that. That will be gain. Then my life will be meaningful. Father, would you please help us? Would you please transform us by the power of your word? Would you help us come to you and know that our Christ, he is enough. He is more than enough. He has given us fullness of life, fullness of joy in his presence. We love him. We want to become people who are givers, not takers, givers, God. God, please make it happen. Pray that our children would see where our true treasure truly is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 